beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, outside of the church, there is no salvation. Now, perhaps you saw the title of the sermon in your email or saw it on the liturgy sheet today. Or maybe you're just hearing it for the first time now. It's the title of the sermon. How does it make you feel when you hear, when you see those words? Outside of the church, there is no salvation. It is something which was said by Cyprian, the bishop, the minister of the church at Carthage around, he ministered in the early 200s, so he was a minister just about a century after the New Testament was completed, and he said those words. And it is also something which we confess in the Belgian Confession in Article 28. But how does it make you feel to hear those words? Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Does it sound ominous to you? Vaguely threatening or accusatory, exclusionary? Or perhaps you may think, well, it's just a neutral statement of fact. Or is it an invitation? Is it something which is positive? Is it gospel? Is it good news? What I want to do in the sermon is work through especially the first question and answer in our Lord's Day. So if you have your psalm book open, it's going to help you see where we are in the sermon. It'll be helpful to understand the sermon better. We look at what we confess from the Scripture. And what do we confess together with the whole Christian church? I believe a holy Catholic Christian church. That is the article of faith. And it's part of that section of the creed which speaks of the work of God the Spirit. Now, look at those words in that article in the creed. I believe a holy Catholic Christian church. I believe. It's an article of faith. What does the Scripture say about faith? Well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. And that is certainly the church. We, we confess this glorious truth here in Lord's Day 21. We confess this glorious truth, this glorious scriptural truth about what the church is in Article 27, 28, and 29 of the Belgian Confession. But we don't see it in all of its perfect glory. It is a work of God and we only get to see and experience a part of it. And what we see and experience is very much a construction site. It's very messy. And it's not always easy to discern all of the perfections which at the last day the church will manifest. So it's an article of faith that's important. We don't see it in its fullness. We believe it. Because God told us that this is what the church is. So I believe... And now let's go through the catechism here. I believe that the Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves for himself a church. It is the work of God. It's not our work. We don't build the church. We don't gather the church. We don't defend the church. We don't preserve the church. No matter how hard we try, we can't. It is the work of Christ who gathers, defends, and preserves for himself a church, says 
the scripture, and we confess in the Catechism, a church chosen to everlasting life. The scriptures make that clear. That's what we are chosen unto. Jesus didn't, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit did not choose us in eternity to merely get together and talk about Jesus for a number of years on earth, and that's the end of the story. No, the project which is called the church is an eternal and everlasting project. The church is the gathering. The word in Greek is ekklesia, and the word ekklesia means a called together, a gathered congregation. That is the very essence of the church, that it gathers. That's in the very DNA of the church. A church which does not gather is not church. It is the gathering of all those chosen to everlasting life. And with those words, the confession echoes the truth of Scripture that there is a stark difference between those who are gathered and those who are not. What does the Lord Jesus say in Luke chapter 11? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so there was a clear distinction between the church and those who are not of the church. And there are lots of metaphors in the Scripture that God uses to describe the church, but it's always clear, no matter what metaphor God uses, that outside of the church, there is no salvation. The Bible speaks of the church as the flock, and the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, my sheep do, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so there is a defined group of people. They are called the flock of Christ. They are called the sheep of the good shepherd. He knows them. They know him. They hear his voice. And they follow him because they are his sheep. And he gives them eternal life. That group of people is one group. And the group of people that are not in Christ is another. The church is therefore a holy congregation. It is set apart from the world. Light set apart from darkness. Believers set apart from unbelievers the righteous set apart from the ungodly. Now, if it's such a select group, you might imagine that it's a very small group, a very exclusive group, but it's not. That's not how the gospel works. We believe a holy Catholic church. And the word Catholic is a word which comes from the Greek, and it means extension in uh, time and in space. So we often say... We often rephrase Catholic in this way. We say the church of all times and all places. The project of gathering, defending, and preserving the church is a massive project, which begins at the beginning of the world and only will be completed at the end of time, when there will stand before the throne of God and of the Lamb a multitude that no man can number. It's a massive project. And when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, 
he charged the leaders of the church to go and get to work on that project in his name. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I mean, that's a lot of work. And there's risk involved to go to other countries. I mean, who do you know there? And, and, and uh, is it going to, if you try to plant a church there in, in that city, is, is it, is it going to work? It might be a, a failure. So you might want to stay here in Jerusalem where everything's all figured out and you're all comfortable. That's not what Jesus said. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Because his program, his project of building the church is cosmic, it is universal, it is Catholic. And you see that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10, where we see how the work of Christ in building the church is a work which brings him glory. They sang a new song, the four living creatures, the 24 elders. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the project, the building project of the church of Christ. The cost is the blood of God. The blood of God the sun, the highest cost you could imagine. And it is a building project which includes every tribe, language, people, and nation. So around the world, but also from the beginning of the world to its end, we, we look there in Genesis chapter 3, just after the fall, already the gospel comes and is preached, and God begins his work of Gathering, defending, and preserving the church as he preaches the gospel to Adam and Eve and as he promises the Christ to them as he speaks of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the snake. And you think of what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And that's why God's children and God's church love evangelism and missions. We want to see the word go forth. We want to see the kingdom advance with power. We want to see the gospel preached indiscriminately to everyone because we can't wait to that moment when the last elect one is converted and the church, the number of the elect is complete and then we can really begin to live life the way it was made to be lived in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, how does Christ gather, defend, and preserve for himself a church? Well, we confess by his spirit and word. And I've said this before, spirit and word always go together. If you have the word without the spirit or the spirit without the word, that's not the work of God. It's something else. The Spirit speaks through the Word. What does Scripture say? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit inspired every word and every letter, every detail of every letter of the Scripture. And when the Bible quotes itself, then, for instance, in the New Testament, when one of the writers quotes the Psalms, 
instead of, often instead of saying, well, David said, they'll say, the Spirit said, and then they'll quote, for instance, something that David wrote in one of the Psalms. So the Spirit is the one who speaks, who inspired the Scriptures. And the Spirit uses the Word of God to give new life, to make people be born again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. This Word is the good news that was preached to you. So as the, as the Word goes forth into the world, and it is accompanied by the power of the Spirit, which is why when we go out and preach, we've got to accompany it with prayer that God will be using the preaching and opening the hearts because it, was, it will not have any effect without his blessing. But as the word goes out in the power of the Spirit, hearts are changed and people come to life. Dead sinners are raised to a new life and are joined to the church of God. Now, the Belgian Confession uh, echoes and uh, summarizes these scriptural truths in Article 27. If you have your psalm book handy, just have a look there for a moment, Article 27. These are the, this is the way that the Belgian confesses these scriptural truths that we've been rehearsing. That's on page 510 if you have a psalm book. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation and assembly gathering of the true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, are washed by his blood, and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is the church. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will be to the end, for Christ is an eternal king who cannot be without subjects. This holy church is preserved by God against the fury of the whole world, although for a while it may look very small and as extinct in the eyes of man. Thus, during the perilous reign of Ahab, the Lord kept for himself 7,000 persons who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons. And what we're saying here is that the church isn't tied to Rome or to any other one group, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. Yet it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. And having established from the scriptures what the church is, we then proceed to say what we say in the beginning of Article 28. We believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be but all and every one are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. And in that last part, you see the echoes, you hear the echoes of our Lord's Day about the communion of saints. And so the Belgian Confession is doing the same thing as the Heidelberg Catechism. It starts with the, the big picture, with the general principles, the grand sweep of history, what the church is. 
And then it laser focuses, it, it, it zooms in and focuses on the life of the individual believer. Where do I fit into this great plan of God, this great building program of the church? Well, this is what true faith says. I am a part of God's church gathering program. I am a part of the assembly of believers. I am a part of the holy people of God. And so I will spare no effort and avoid no cost, even my life itself, to be in communion with the church Catholic wherever she is made manifest here on earth. And that's exactly what we're confessing there in the Belgic. Look at the second paragraph there on page 511. To observe this more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. They, they should do so even though the rulers and edicts of princes were against it and death or physical punishment might follow. All, therefore, who dr draw away from the church or fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. Now, the, the, the historical context here is, is the Roman church. And the Roman church had lost the gospel. The, the, the word of God was not heard anymore. Just the mumbling in Latin of the priests. And the sacraments were not administered in purity, but they were uh, changed into some kind of mystical and magical ritual. And there was no discipline. You lived a godless life, as long as you threw enough money at the church, they'll leave you alone. And so it had lost all the characteristics of being the very church of God. But if you left it and you joined the local reformed church, you might very well end up dead. And God's people at that time said, well, it doesn't matter. Even if it costs me my life, I will go where the church of Christ gathers. And the church of Christ gathers where there is the word and the sacraments and Christian discipline. That's where we find the church. That's where he is present. Where the gospel is preached to work faith, where the sacraments are administered to strengthen faith, where church discipline is exercised to exclude those that show no faith or fruits of faith. And so we confess in the Heidelberg, I believe that I am and shall forever remain a living member of it. And, and when we confess that, we, it's very, very clear what that does not mean, what the implications of that are. We're not saying, I believe that I am and shall ever, forever remain a living member of St. Albert Canadian Reformed Church. We're not confessing that because maybe one day we won't be members of this church. We're also not saying, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of the Canadian Reformed Churches. We're not saying that because that wouldn't be scriptural. That may not be true. If the Federation veers from the Word of God, we would have to leave it. If we move to another country, we would have to leave it. If we died, our names are taken off the membership list. Well, there is a membership which is forever, and that is membership in the church of God. As a true believer, you are duty-bound to always be in communion with the head, 
and thus in communion with the body. That doesn't change. No matter where you live, no matter what happens in, in church history or in history in general, no matter if you live or you die, you must be in Christ. And if you are in Christ, if you're in fellowship with him, you must be in fellowship with the body of Christ. You cannot be in fellowship with the head without being in fellowship with the body. You cannot love God if you do not love your brother. Now, that's a metaphor. I said already that Scripture uses lots of different pictures of what the church is. But that's a metaphor that the Scripture uses quite often. The Apostle Paul uses it a number of times. Christ the head and the church, the body. And this is a very, very helpful and important picture. We live in a time in which it has become... It has become faddish, it has become something to be celebrated, to despise formality and institutions. And you will meet, and you have met, people who say this, I don't like religion, I like spirituality. I follow Jesus, I don't need the institution of the church. And so there are many who deceive themselves into thinking that you can simply dispense with the church of God and still have a very vibrant life of faith, a very vibrant spiritual life. Well, that is a lie from the very pit of hell. Simply not true. And it's going to kill you if you believe it and practice it. If you remove yourself from the means of grace, which God has ordained in the visible church, the preaching of the word and the sacraments and church discipline, you will die. Your faith will shrivel. It's the way your body works. If you stop eating after a while, your body will shut down. If you stop eating spiritual nourishment, stop being fed by the word and the spirit, you will die spiritually. And so saying that I just need Jesus, I don't need the church, it's like your hand saying, well, you know what? I'm really sick of being connected to the body. Why do I need the arm anyway? I want to be connected directly to the head. That's all I need. Imagine all your body parts said that. You know, this whole body thing, is it really that necessary? It's the head which kind of controls everything. I would like to be directly connected to the head. Well, imagine you rolling into church with your foot sticking out of your head and your kneecap and everything else. That wouldn't work. It doesn't work, and it certainly doesn't work for the church of God, the body of Christ. It's a monstrosity. Now, as I've mentioned a number of times, the Bible uses a lot of pictures about the church. It's a, it's a glorious city. We, we sang and we read Psalm 48. It's, it's a vine into which we are engrafted. It is a flock. It is a spiritual temple made of living stones. But what we're focusing on this year in the home visits is that picture of the body of Christ. And if we think of that biblical picture of the church, the body of Christ, then it's just self-evident that when we confess outside of the church there is no salvation, that it is simply a simple statement of fact. If you are not in communion with the body, you are not connected to the head. I mean, what happens if you cut yourself off. And here's the warning. 
because it's not just a simple statement of fact, but there's also a warning behind it. What happens if you, if you would cut off, for instance, your thumb? And my catechism students are, are used to these kind of gruesome examples that I sometimes use, but, but they hopefully make you think. If you cut off your thumb, you put it against the wall there, and you leave it. And after a while, it's going to rot, and it's going to break down and stink. It's certainly not going to be living or healthy. It's not going to be alive. And that's the same thing with members of the body of Christ. If we are cut off, if we cut ourselves off, then basically we cut ourselves off from life itself. So it's a simple statement of fact. If a body part is not in the body, it, it's going to die. It's a warning, but it's also an invitation. It's also good news. Because those whom Christ gathers into the body, those whom the Spirit of Christ unites by faith to Christ the head and to each other as members, they are formed into a glorious, eternal communion of righteousness and mutual divine love. And that makes the church shine in the darkness of this world. Where can the unbeliever find Christ in this world? This world is dark. It is dying. It is groaning. It is corrupt. It is despairing. It is without hope. It is full of hate and violence and anger. Where can the unbeliever find Christ? In the church. Where Christ is present in the word and the sacraments. Where Christ speaks from heaven every time the word is preached. Where the sacraments sign and seal to believers the glorious truth of the word that our sins are washed away. That we are righteous and holy and beloved in Christ our Lord. And where the Spirit of Christ is busy in his workshop, forming children, men, and women for eternal glory. Where Christ shepherds us by means of the elders, the under-shepherds, guiding us in the way of life. Where Christ ministers to us in our joys and our sorrows through the work of the Spirit-anointed deacons who come to us in his name. And we're all God's children, live not just for themselves, but readily and cheerfully use their gifts for the benefit and the well-being of the other members, where people love each other enough to be willing to lay down their life for one another. Where that exists, where that is present in the world, it is a light on a hill, it is a lamp on a stand, and it is a place which calls many more sinners from the darkness to God's marvelous light. This is the church, the body of Christ, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of priests, the royal nation, God's own people, the new humanity formed after the image of Christ, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the residents of the new heavens and the new earth. So the church is not just one more thing on our weekly calendar. The church is not just, well, on Sundays, yeah, we get together with some people that love Jesus, and then we get back to real life. The church is the main thing. It is the only thing. 
every other aspect of the life of the believer is dependent upon and arises out of this most fundamental truth that I am a living member of the body of Christ. There's nothing more important in all the universe for you, for me, than that truth. And in a million years' time, Every connection to everything and everyone in this world apart from Christ will be forgotten and will have absolutely no meaning whatsoever to you. But in a million years' time, this truth will stand. I am a living member of the body of Christ. In Him and in Him alone is blessing, even life forevermore. Amen.